forget your great things, God. Our God, our God is done. God, we would desire that all of the praise be lifted up to you, Lord. We thank you for the ability to come in here on a day like today and have freedom to pray and to sing and to say those very things. Uh, Lord, in this cold time of year, would you kindle a warmth in our spirits, in our attitudes towards one another, in our affections towards you, Lord, and for the gospel of Jesus Christ who died for our sins who is now risen and living, our Lord. God, may you speak to us. May we be humble when God's word is shared. May we be quick to listen, quick to ask what it is that you would do in our lives, eager to apply your word and the truth of your word to our lives. May our gatherings just be covered in grace and mercy, in passion and enjoyment of the Lord. Lord, may our fellowship times be genuine. May we seek one another out in the spirit of a church that is made alive in Jesus Christ. God, may our guests be made welcome and to feel a part of our family and to come and be with us again and again because of the great love that you have for all of us and the great desire you have for us to share that love and that acceptance and that truth of God with a city and with family and friends who just like us need it desperately we pray for an outstanding morning together it's in your name we all pray amen amen hey have a seat have a seat this is great when i saw the weather forecast this is already about 800 percent more people than i thought might be here this morning I've noticed it always snows at the time that people are deciding whether to come to church or not. That's something I've noticed in Spokane. So thank you for coming here this morning or for having four-wheel drive or whatever it is that got you here this morning. I want to remind you today, uh, uh, similarly to last week, Pat, my job sometimes is to shake you up, Wayne. Sometimes it's my job <laughs> to remind you, Brian, of what a glorious Lord that we serve and what a great reward it is to love and serve him. One of my jobs is to get you focused and locked in on the primacy of your relationship with God. And we like to use the first two Sundays of the year for that very purpose. Um, one of our elders uh, said that maybe my new title could be Sermon Giver, Dreamer, and Whip Cracker. 
And I thought I would take that. I just, I love it. Um, and that's definitely um, with love what I want to do today. Um, but today, one more time talking about the idea that we're called to be greater, that there's more that God would have for us. There's more that he would have for our church. It's the year 2020, and we need to be alert and wise to all the changes in the world and not afraid of them, but even more eager to add people to the family of God. Um, you might hear a few little reruns from me today. I hate repeating myself, but I have been here uh, almost 15 years, and I want to share some things. Uh, but don't worry, it's not the you go night-night story. It's, it's not how much I love Diet Mountain Dew and, or Cheetos or the Arizona Cardinals or anything like that. Um, but there is some, some truths in God's word that I've just been excited to share over and over. So not the whole talk, but I do want to let you know that sometimes that's a virtue. Um, if you look on our walls and you look in our Bibles, you'll see words like evangelism, sharing the faith. Maybe even take a gander over there if you haven't looked in a while. Discipleship, which we're going to talk about today. And then you have to crane your neck a little bit for fellowship and worship. But these are the pillars of our church built on the foundation of God's unchanging word. And today I want to focus on this concept that we are not just going to make decisions for Jesus at our church, but we are going to make disciples. We've done well at getting people to raise their hands and pray the Jesus prayer and have a moment of decision. And so many of those people, like the Bible tells us, become followers of Jesus. Some do it out of emotion or get sidetracked or choked by the cares of the world. And we're going to continue to invite people to make a decision. But in 2020, we have to be better and better at making disciples of Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen even though I've hardly done anything yet? We need to make disciples. Discipleship is greater than decisions. What is a disciple? It's really a simple word in the Bible that sometimes we make too complex. It's a learner is the most strict Greek interpretation of the word. But of course, they learned by doing. They learned by example and by truth. We have a different way of learning where a lot of times we just accumulate knowledge in our culture. But it's everything. To be a disciple is to be a learner, simply a follower of God sometimes translated as a devoted one. I'm going to make you do a little bit today. going to make you do some stuff on January 12th. You already got here in your car without incident, so good job. But I'm going to make you do even more than that. Would you look in front of you and find something? Uh, you might have to ask somebody to help you, Eric. I'm sorry. I don't know how we, where they are, but there's some uh, response cards in the seats right in front of you. What I'd like you to do, we talk about them week after week after week after week, but would you grab one if you can reach one, help somebody around you? If they're being polite and don't want to reach over you, might want to grab a pen while you're at it. And then guys, after you grab one, you can do that old movie theater move and put your arm around your wife after you grab it. Just yawn and, ooh, got it. And I want to encourage you to take a step today. And really every week at church, I think, should be some kind of step that's taken, some kind of resolve of the will. And so I want you to know what and where these are at at all times. I want to encourage you to just give us your info if this is your church family or you'd like to be followed up and made a part of the church family. Uh, but I want you to have that and kind of hold on to it. You can tuck it into your sermon notes right now. You can fill it out at any time. But I'm going to bring us back to that. But I want you to look at some of the, real quick, just take a minute and look at some of the options that are on that response card every week about joining a group 
becoming a member, uh, getting baptized, some of the other things that are on there. And I'm going to challenge you to take a step in 2020 about being a disciple or being a discipler, one who makes disciples. So tuck that away, look at it, whatever you like. Um, but I want to say something I've said a lot. Spokane has many, 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 many so-called Christians. I've lived in a couple part, different parts of the states. You, many of you have lived in many different parts of the states. A uniqueness that I see and when I talk to other pastors and when I have exploratory conversations is so many people will say in the right settings in Spokane, I'm a Christian. If it is convenient or if it is just what they believe about themselves. But I think when we look at the churches being largely empty and most people not being in places of worship on a Sunday morning, we'd have to uh, deduce that not everyone that claims that they are a Christian are really into it or are still walking with the Lord Jesus Christ. There's too many short timers. A lot of people get real excited. And the scriptures talk about this. This is why we don't have to get too worked up or excited or shocked. Matthew 13 goes into depth about the four different responses to the word of God. And it's all over the scriptures. But there's a lot of short timers. There's a lot of convenience Christians. There's a lot of hobbyists who use their faith to propel business or personal relationships. Some try to use it to control their kids for a time or forever. Uh, believe it or not, some use it to improve or expand their dating and mating prospects. And a lot of people have what the scriptures themselves call a form of godliness but lack the power that comes through a vibrant relationship with God through Jesus Christ. The, the scriptures say there's a power and an intimacy and a daily consistency with those who have a genuine relationship with God through the saving grace of Jesus Christ. The scriptures say that power and joy and enjoyment and love and discipline and then all the fruit of the Spirit are right there for the plucking for the true disciple of Jesus. Now, this is not a us and them and a who's he talking about moment. Um, this is something we're all susceptible to this reality of being a short timer, a convenience Christian, or a hobbyist. And it's not always, and maybe not even often in our city, a sin of commission where I have decided to be a false believer or a sometimes or a lackluster follower of Jesus. It's as much often a sin of omission or ignorance of not really understanding the fullness and the wonder that God has for my life. Maybe you would count yourself among that crowd today. I believe or I largely believe, but I lack that vibrancy and joy and consistency and courage that I know is mine. So it's not always a sin of commission as much as a sin of omission or ignorance of the lordship and the expectations of God. And what I want to do, remember I'm a pot stirrer, I'm a cage rattler, I'm a whip cracker today, Jeff, is I want to call us back, not to something new or not some big radical shift in our church, but I want to call us back to what is classic and real belief in the Lord Jesus Christ through God the Father, empowered by the Holy Spirit. We're going to do something about this. We're going to look and we're going to see and we're going to participate with God in bringing and being, bringing disciples into his family. And I really want to encourage you today, if that 
challenge freaks you out, start with yourself in becoming a disciple today. Let's look at our passage today, Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. In Matthew chapter 9, we've met the disciples, we've seen their unique calls, and then we get the first real taste of what they're going to be doing and what it's all about in a lot of ways. Matthew 9, 35 says, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. So just for a moment, picture it. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I want to walk you through this great passage today and see what God has for us. There's some simple stuff that we could already know what to do if we have faith, if we have Jesus, just based on the few sentences we've read. Some simple stuff we can do modeled by Jesus. It says he was going all over, teaching in synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. We just need to get the truth out there. Amen? Through our lives, through our words, through our relationships, we need to get the truth out there. I love Romans 10, 13 through 17. Maybe look at that later if you need some convincing. But Paul says, how are they going to hear if no one will tell them? How are they going to see if no one will show them? And it goes through just the part that we play in God's plan to bring this truth of Jesus Christ to the world. Romans 10, 13 through 17. How will they see? How will they hear? Let's get the truth out there. We also see one of Jesus' first things that he does. Remember, he came to proclaim the good news, set the captives free, preach the good news to the poor and all of that. We can, we're to help people, show compassion, offer to pray for people as often as possible. 1 Peter 2, 12 gives a simpler kind of roundup of that when it says, have your conduct among the Gentiles, be honorable so that people turn to God. Now, in this passage, Jesus healed. He's showing his lordship, his ability to carry out the power and the will of the Father. You and I cannot heal. God has the power to heal. But we can pray for healing. We can lift up uh, vociferously for healing and the, the, the prayers for sickness and for restoration of people's bodies. We, but we can always, always point them to the God who can heal. We can't, but God can, and sometimes he chooses to work through our prayers. That can be a stumbling block for some, so I wanted to take just a moment. In this passage, we can't heal, but we can point them to God who can. But more importantly, more urgently, more commonly, you and I are able to deliver a spiritual healing through the gospel of Jesus Christ to anyone that will listen to us, anyone that will watch our life. And I don't want you to picture some new thing where you and I are going out, handing out tracts, riding bicycles this summer, knocking on doors, standing at different places around town, hoping that people will come to us or barking things at them. I want you to understand the wholesome plan of God is for you and I to live out the love that God has for us and the love that we have for him. And he will bring opportunities. But I also want you to realize you are surrounded in this room even and in this church and that lobby at all three services and every gathering we have, the well, the men's breakfast, the Thursday morning Bible studies, small groups even, the food bank, service opportunities all over town. You are surrounded by people who need to be invited into discipleship. And maybe it's you, maybe it's you, maybe it's you. But if you're thinking that we want to unleash you on the city in some uncomfortable, awkward, artificial way, 
I, I want to ask, would you even just start here, noticing who's around you and who needs someone to notice and to help them in their faith and vice versa. I'm going to get to whether you need to be a disciple or a disciple-er towards the end of my talk. The next simple kind of stuff that we see that Jesus did is to look around and see past the surface in people's lives. Verse 36, it sounds just kind of innocuous. Jesus saw the crowds. But don't miss the simple he saw the crowds. It's really interesting. There's something happening here when you dig in and you know where the disciples are at in their head, what they've been doing at this point. At this point in the gospel, and really most of the four gospels until you get to the last chapter or so, when you dig in and study the disciples and their motives and their attraction to Jesus at this point especially, it was noble and they were leaving something and they were pursuing something greater. But in some and really in most regards at this point, it was still a selfish, and I don't mean that ugly, but it was a selfish pursuit for the disciples because they were very much concerned with what they were going to get out of being a disciple and being close to Jesus. How they were going to be seen by others, what would be their role in the new power structure of the kingdom of God that Jesus kept saying is here and is coming. And they felt that the kingdom was coming, but it was coming on its own. It was coming from the sky. It was coming through the prophets and the prophecy. And if they were disciples, they were right at Jesus, left and right, and they would be first in line, first to be honored. This was a lot of their viewpoint at that at that point, and they were early benefactors. They thought they were just early benefactors, early adopters of Jesus' ministry and leadership. But there's something different here. Jesus doesn't just see crowds. He wants to teach the disciples to see people, to see people. We do this every day. We size people up on the car they drive or the attitude they have or the way they look or the way they dress or the way they might respond in a moment. And Jesus sees all beyond those masks. And he's trying to teach the disciples and us throughout the whole New Testament to try to look beyond that simple seeing into seeing. They thought it was about position, but Jesus wants them to see something. What did he want them to see? It's right in the scriptures. Harassed and helpless, or in some versions, distressed and downcast, like sheep without a shepherd. This is kind of long. I don't expect you to write all this down, but to get the gist, what that means is that regardless of what people might say or appear to be or display, there is an emptiness a shame, a wound, or possibly a destructive behavior that is killing some of us and the people around us. I firmly believe that Jesus didn't see people who looked worse than others, behaved worse than others, appeared worse or complained more or had greater afflictions, but he saw into the human heart that regardless of what it might look like on the outside, there is something eating away at the soul of Americans, Spokenites, people in your family, definitely people in all of our circles of influence. Nobody, and I'm going to include myself and probably you, nobody really wants, well, not nobody, most people <laughs> don't want anyone else to know the depth 
of their struggling, their confusion, their self-doubting, their harm in their past, their depression, their loneliness. We are as a race often, almost always, masking this reality. And whether people will openly admit it or even try to advertise it themselves, what Jesus saw is still there. People are harassed and helpless, scattered like sheep without a shepherd. We forget this sometimes. I look out in this crowd, Rick Fisher, oh my God, in the same room as me. Thank you, Lord. We see all these awesome people. We're in groups together. We serve together, especially this service. I mean, not that the other ones aren't great, but I'm looking around and I'm like, do you guys need to hear this? Do you need to be reminded of this? But even in this room, we forget because we have Jesus and we have Jesus' people. Some of you might be rolling your eyes when I say people are hurting, people are stressed, people are this. And you go, well, yeah, those people are, maybe those people are, but not the people I know. We forget how we felt at one point. And that's great, isn't it? <laughs> isn't that kind of great that a lot of us forget that and some of us don't? But we can't forget since we have Jesus. And think of what good things Jesus' people do for us. I had two of the elders on our elder team, you know, want to spend some time with me this week. And I usually go, oh, man, is this when they fire me? Or, you know, like, is, or what did I say? Actually, usually I know what I said. Did they hear it? Were they in that service? And they both just wanted to encourage me so much. And we forget that we have Jesus people reminding us. Not everybody has this, that we don't stink. And even if you decide to come to church and that's all you'll give is I'll try church, I'll come every Sunday, we get to hear that we're God's kids, that we're God's beloved, that God died for us. I mean, we forget that the world that might be having the same issues as us is missing a key ingredient of having people say we don't stink, you're not going to hell, or you have no idea what lies beyond. We forget that a lot of people just don't have someone in their life, Don, that can say, hey, I don't know how but God could work this out in your life. And that's not one of those trite Christian things like it's all going to be fine. That's just like a real thing that we could say to each other like, I get why you're miserable, but I believe that God could take this situation and do something beautiful. And we forget that people have that. Maybe enough on that. You can rest assured that whether people let on or not, and this is tricky because we think people that have more stuff than us or more vacations than us or, or more and better kids than we do or have this kind of thing going on in their life, we think they've got it all, but I swear I'm a student of the human condition. <sighs> whether people let on or not, if you and I can shine for Jesus, talk about our God, somehow broach the subject through our actions and through our love. And I'm telling you, don't even worry about what's outside the door if that's freaking you out. But even think about the people who come in here week after week that have not found a vibrant discipleship relationship with God. If you and I can shine for Jesus, talk about him, broach the subject, God will start to work. Just give me an amen if you've seen that, if you've seen that to be true. And so today is about, can we look like Jesus did, see, and help God bring in disciples? 
So this, the story, the actual event that is recorded in Matthew 9 carries on in verse 37. After saying they were, he had compassion. You remember from last week that compassion meant Jesus felt strongly in his guts a feeling uh, of affection and of compassion for those people because they were harassed and helpless. Verse 37, then he said to his disciples, after that bummer of a sentence, he said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So Jesus goes up for a moment. Guys, guys, don't worry. The harvest is plentiful. And I don't really know if the disciples were following. Now he's talking about farming. Or if they were like, oh, yeah, I get what he's doing. The harvest is plentiful, guys. The harvest is plentiful. And they go, yeah, yeah, let's harvest, let's harvest. But the laborers are few. Real simple stuff today. The harvest is plentiful. If you were to dig into the passage, I don't even think you need to, but I want to make sure we all get it. Lots of people can be harvested or brought back to God. That's what Jesus is saying. Even though it looks hopeless, harassed, helpless, distressed, downcast, wandering around like sheep without a shepherd, prone to danger and prone to wandering and all of that, lots of people can be brought back to God. But that next statement is the one we got to do something about. The laborers are few. The laborers are few. And I believe Jesus was not just speaking for that moment, but he was speaking an eternal truth of the church that we have struggled with, battled against, at different times accepted. He says the laborers are few. And that quite simply, quite easy words, hardly anybody wants to help with that harvest. And again, don't get freaked out even about, oh, God's going to call me to this scary place, although he may. Think about even the people that are around you, the people that are kind of knocking at the door of our church that need to be brought into community and discipleship. Hardly anybody wants to help with this. Jesus himself <laughs> complains if, if that's something a sinless God can do. What are laborers in this parable, in this simple, it's not even a parable, excuse me, in this simple teaching that Jesus is giving? What are labor, laborers, those who are willing to help bring in the harvest? And you'll catch that Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, the labor is few, so please pray. We'll get to that in a moment. Laborers are those who are willing to help bring in the harvest. It's frustrating to Jesus, and I will tell you as someone who loves the gospel and loves inviting people into real relationship with God, for me, it's frustrating seeing the opportunity out there and in here and realizing sometimes that not a lot of people want to help with that. Could you imagine having a farm or an orchard that's just rich? You've got to really imagine it right now. That's just rich with harvest and abundance. And you've said, hey, I got some awesome food here. I can't eat all of it. And if, if anybody wants some, you call out to the city, come get it, come take it. And you know there's poor and there's hungry and there's just smart people out there who don't want to pay for stuff. They don't have to. And you think they're all going to come, they're all going to come. And, and when that moment comes where you open the gates and everybody can come in and, and you've, you've convinced everyone else to do this with you and then nobody really comes or maybe a few stragglers come, you can't get anyone to do it. I guess I am going to talk about something I love, but it's not Diet Mountain Dew. I love pears. I had a pear tree growing up. 
this was our like sometimes growing up poor and being, you know, home alone sometimes. This was the only source of food some days. And I just, well, without having someone else do it, let's be honest. That didn't mean to paint a, you know, I grew up a certain way. But I just, I love them. And whenever I, I go on a run and I go by a pear tree that nobody cares about. And why is it that all the people that want pear trees don't have one, but the people that don't want it, they move into a house and there's five of them. And they don't care. And you see them on the ground. Substitute whatever it might be for you, apples or prime rib or whatever it might be lying on the ground. And I've been to people's houses or been on a, you know, a run or a walk and seen a pear tree that no one cares about. Pears on the ground, wasted, destined for pear hell. And I do, just for a moment, I go, oh, that's too bad. I wish I knew those people and I'd seen that and I just would have shown up with a bucket one day, you know, because I'm not above that. And just saying like, hey, can I have some of those or, you know, but it's just such a bummer because there's all this great succulent pear meat. Lions and tigers and pears, oh my. There they are, but they're just dying and decaying on the ground and they're gross. That was unnecessary. This is, they were there already, I guess. This, in a certain way, might be the kind of image that Jesus is trying to get across, saying, look, guys, can't you see? Can't you see all the harvest, all the need, all the just ripe for the plucking and picking, the harvest is ripe. There is this sea of people who are ready to be cultivated and picked and added to the harvest of God. And he says, please pray that God will do something about it. And just remember, church, together we want to try to make disciples, not just decisions, it's up to God what happens when someone prays earnestly, we believe, to invite Jesus into their life. We don't know. We're not God. We're not the Lord. But what he has called us to do is fight for those disciples, to invite people into greater closeness and greater commitment and greater genuineness in their relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And discipleship is way greater and more effective and more valuable than just decisions here on this side of heaven and beyond. So here's what I'd like to ask you to do today, and I know you all won't, and maybe you all don't need to, but would you get that response card out that I gave you? And would you take a step today? You need to really listen for some of these. Some of these are pretty e easy and obvious. Some of these might be simple, like you've been, you know, giving us a six-digit phone number for five years, and it's just... I'm going to let them know who I am. You know, I'm going to change it to AOL and not AUL.com. If anybody still has that, Mark, you do. So weird. So weird. What is it, 2001? How do you even have that? I don't understand. Get out a response card. If you're ready to become more of a disciple of the Lord, a follower, a learner, a devoted one, I want you to pick one of these by faith today. We're going to follow up with you. We're going to do the, a lot of the hard work of, of seeing if you meant this or if you're still in for this in a couple days. But check, join a small group. Um, these are kind of what they look like. Some of them are shorter or longer. Check interested in small groups, interested in membership, put baptism or child dedication. And of course we want to know if you're new here, but that's not as much what I'm talking about today. And fill this out for us. Also, what's not on here 
is make a decision today, if you're not going to do one of those things, to go to one of our BSF groups that one the ladies meet here Monday nights, the men meet in the valley. What's the name of the church again? At Berean Bible on, on same night, Monday nights. That's all easily findable on the web. You can come to our women's study, The Well, on Wednesday morning and Wednesday night. You can come to the Thursday morning Bible study, which is all ages, even though it meets at 10 in the morning. They are eating food this week, so that's a pretty exciting reason to come. You can do those easy and often things like the men's breakfast that's coming on the last Saturday this month. But here's an ask we're really going to follow up on this week. This is the one where you really need to dial in and listen. If you think, I think God could use me to disciple other people. Some of you, he already is. And so if you feel like I want more people to disciple or I need to be kind of instructed and helped with how I can disciple, help other people become more like Jesus in our church and people that have questions that are growing in their faith, I want you to take um, on the top here and just put a big D for disciple-er on the top of that. And here's what's different, though. If you do put that that big D on the top, um, I want you today to hand that to me to Elder Mark Baldwin, who will be down front here at the end of our service, or hand it directly to Jim, who's out at the info counter. And the reason we want to do that is we have a pretty serious and awesome thing that we're going to do with people who really say, I want to be a discipler. But we don't want to open it up and have a lot that are saying, I didn't really mean that, or I'm not sure I understood that. But if your heart is crying out right now, I want to devote my life centrally to Jesus. No matter what I do for a living, no matter that I am leading my home and leading my business or going to school or working or I'm an employee, whatever it is, but I do understand the central tenet of my faith is Jesus and my effect on other people for Jesus. I want you to just put a big D on that, hand it to me. As I said, I'd be the easiest one to find Mark, who you'll meet later, or Jim out at the info counter. Verse 38 They're harassed and they're helpless. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And Jesus closes that part and says, Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And I have talked about this so many times. It's one of my favorite discoveries in studying and meditating on the scriptures was after Jesus says, pray for laborers, I believe they close their eyes, they make it a part of their life to now do what Jesus said, pray for laborers. And how many times have you and I seen the poor, seen the homeless, seen the people that are struggling, seen junior high kids, seen different areas of need, and God, oh God, help someone, bring someone, bring someone, bring someone, please bring someone, please bring someone to do that. God, bring someone into government, or bring someone into my workplace, bring someone into my family, bring someone into this family, into my, uh, into my family's life. And then it, you fast forward to the next chapter, and remember, there was no numbers, there was no chapters, there was no things, those are all for our benefit. Chapter 10, the very next chapter, they pray, Lord, send workers they say amen send workers amen and then it says and he called to him his 12 disciples these 12 Jesus sent out what a bait and switch pray for workers okay Lord please send workers amen you guys aren't gonna believe this you're the workers The prayer for laborers 
is answered. That's so exciting. Remember how depressed we were about 20 minutes ago? But the prayer for those workers, those laborers, those disciples is answered. It was them. It is us. They prayed, then they saw that they were the answer. Do you see that you are the answer? You are the answer. There's not someone else likely that God's sending to save the person you know in the cubicle next to you, that you are on a line with at the plant, or that you get in a truck with every day for plowing or landscaping. When you sit with your board of directors and you sense that need, it's highly unlikely someone is going to swoop into the room from nowhere. Occasionally that happens and we say, thank you, God. But it's you. It's you. It's you. It's you. You're the answer to God's challenge. You're the answer to the disciples' prayers. You're the answer to my prayers. You're the answer to all the people that are praying all over the world for someone to come and be a real disciple of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. My challenge this morning is to invite you to become a looker. To look at people, look into their eyes, look beyond the masks, not just outside, but even in this building and these relationships. To see beyond the mask like Jesus did. To pray the prayer and then to answer and be the answer to that prayer. God, may our faith be stronger and more central to our daily life. May we grow deeper in our relationship with you. May we somehow recognize the joy that comes through greater devotion and calling to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And may we be greater than we've ever been and may we do greater than we've ever done. And may we see you as greater than we've ever seen before. It's in your name we pray together.